You're listening to the Gates Church Podcast. For more information or to support this ministry, please visit thegates.org. Good morning. Thanks for coming to church this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Pastor Brad. I'm the youth pastor here at the church, a part-time youth pastor. I'm a welder most of the week, and then in the evening, sometimes I'm a youth pastor. So it's a good time. I really like the, the mix of, of my life right now. Um, I just wanted to give you a, a praise item, first of all. I'm talking about prayer this morning, and it's awesome to be able to praise God for things. And um, last weekend, as some of you might know, we were supposed to go out to the mountains and for a youth retreat. And praise God we didn't, because <laughs> we'd probably still be there. But it was awesome, because we had, we had 15 kids uh, come and hang out with us at the church, actually. We spent the night at the church, and it was really fun. And then on Thursday night, I was, you know, I was kind of tired from the week. But I show, I show up, and there's 17 kids there, of which six of them don't go to any church on Sunday morning. And I was like, that's amazing. I'm so excited that the youth group is, is more than Jubilee. <laughs> because, and I, and I, in all seriousness, uh, there, this was a, this was a few years ago, but there was a, there was a, a time, a few months worth of time, that I kid you not, there was four leaders and then Jubilee. That was the youth group. <laughs> and like, it was fun hanging out. I really enjoyed hanging out with Jubilee. But I think she was like, this is weird. <laughs> this is weird hanging out with these nerds. Man. But it was good. So I'm so excited for my youth leaders, for Josh and for Sarah and for Jocelyn. You guys are awesome. And I'm so thankful for God for his faithfulness that we can have like a real youth group. This is very exciting for me. All right. So we can praise God for that, right? We can praise God for his faithfulness to us as a church and, and looking out over the young children that, that faithfulness has not stopped. <laughs> like the youth group will continue to grow and grow and grow. And that's intense. That's, oh, it's so good. Um, Talking about prayer, there's reasons to pray in the world right now. Definitely, um, I'm, the the thing I'm thinking about right now is just the upcoming election, and I don't want to get into politics right now, but I do know for certain that there there's a lot of hate going around. There's a lot of social media memes that are not very kind and not very loving. And I would say that as a church, we need to pray. We need to pray for the future of our country. Um, we need to pray for wisdom and we need to pray for guidance on who to vote for. We need to pray that God's will would be done in our country and that we would not sink to the, I don't know, the low level of, of just hating on someone because they might think differently than us. You know what Jesus says, both says, love your neighbor as yourself and pray for those people. But he also says, pray for your enemies, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it doesn't really matter where we fall on the political spectrum. We need to pray. We need to pray for the leaders if you agree with them or not agree with them. We need to pray. So I want to encourage you to do that. And then a few weeks ago, if you guys might remember, uh, Henry Borzma was up here and he, he told us as a church kind of the, the dilemma, I guess, that the board is facing this with um, this massive staggering bill that we need to pay the city. Like $25,000. That's a, that's a big, a big chunk of change. And so, I think we're, we're kind of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna 
step out on a limb here and say that we're, I'm, we're past the point of, of asking for prayer and encouraging prayer for us as a church, but I'm going to say that you, you need to pray for us as a church. You know, that, that's what God has called us to do. Um, he's called us to pray for our, our unity and for our church, and He's called us to pray for our leaders. And so pray for Greg and pray for Blair. Pray for the board. Um, and I'll sneak myself in there. Pray for us as a youth group as well. Because we need prayer. We need God's wisdom. We need His guidance in everything we do. And that's what I wanted to talk about this morning is, is praying through dark times. All right? And, and in some ways, you know, it's a beautiful morning. And it was an awesome time of worship this, this morning. I, I love being on the drums and kind of getting sweaty and uncomfortable right now. But that's another story. But it's so awesome that we can pray. We can always pray. And so I want to talk about praying in the darkness right now. Because going through tough times, it's, tough, it's, it's just tough. There, there's no way around it. And sometimes we're, we just don't know how to respond through the trials of life. And if we're, if we're not really thinking about it, I think our, our first reaction is to not pray. Our first reaction sometimes is to just soldier on and go forward and to kind of leave prayer as the last resort when everything else hasn't worked out. We need to pray first. And so I want to reflect on Psalm 143 this morning. And now it's the Psalm of David. And that's the, the only note that's inscribed in the Bible. And so we don't know when it was written or what prompted David to write it. We don't know the, the full context of it. But um, I would like to put forward a conjecture of when it was possibly written. All right? So this is just a guess, but I think, I don't know, kind of works out, at least in my mind. So let, let's read together. First Samuel chapter 23, uh, it tells the story of David hiding and being pursued by King Saul, the current king of Israel. And so let's read this together, starting in verse 24. It says, Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the Arabah, to the south of Jeshimon. So now we all know where we're at, right? Your, your map, you know exactly where we are. So, right? Thumbs up? Okay. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness. Saul went on the one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went again against the Philistines. Therefore, that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of Engedi. So now let's switch and read Psalm 143. And it says, A Psalm of David. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness. Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. 
For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore my my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old and I meditate on all that you have done. I ponder the works of your hands. I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all, all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you continue to speak every time we read it. God, let our our hearts be filled with the truth that you have given us. Lord, may your Holy Spirit guide us and lead us as we listen and we discover this morning. Amen. Now, what I find very curious about this psalm in front of the backdrop of the passage in 1 Samuel, is that it seems to me that God caused Saul's messenger to come at just the right time and tell him about the Philistines, so that Saul's army stopped pursuing David. So in my, in my mind, this is how I imagine it. David is tired, right? That's the starting point. David is very, very tired after a day of walking or running away with his men. All right, which could have been more than like 400 people. So it, was, it wasn't just a small band of, of, of people. It was a, a pretty decent-sized army. And they were running through the wilderness trying to stay hidden and trying to stay away ahead of Saul's army, which was probably pretty massive. Through the wilderness, trying to get away. And nightfall comes. Nightfall comes and they make camp. And David is tired and stressed beyond compare because he knows his messengers have probably came and told him that Saul's army is close by. And he knows that tomorrow it might be the day when the king's army catches them and they have to fight for their lives. And so David prays as if his life depends on it, which it probably does. And he prays that God would reveal his unfailing love in the morning He renews his trust in God, knowing that only God can save him. And he prays for a quick answer. And he falls asleep, exhausted. And in the morning, he finds out that Saul's army is moving away from him. Hmm. Interesting. Again, this is just a guess, but I do like that connection. I really like it. I love reading between the lines of the stories in the Bible and seeing God at work. Answering David's prayer and delivering him from his enemy that is pursuing him. Now, I, I don't imagine that any of us 
have been pursued by someone who wants to kill us. Anyone? Good. All right. Sweet. At least I hope not. And I, I don't think we have that many bitter enemies around here. I think Lethbridge and areas is pretty chill. <laughs> all right. But I do believe that we have all been in situations where we feel pretty hopeless. When we feel stressed, when we feel crushed. When someone is, it feels like someone's just like stepping on us, grinding us down, crushing us into darkness. I think we can all relate to that sort of situation. And I, I think we have all had times when we don't feel God's presence around us. And our soul faints and our heart is appalled. It's numb and it's horrified. It's what's going on. I think you can all agree that truly is utter darkness. When Jesus was on the cross, He screams out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He doesn't feel God's presence at that point in time. And there are times in our lives when we don't feel God's presence. Even though we know that God will never leave us. And that's promised in 2 Timothy 2.13. But still, there are times when we feel things are really bleak. And we don't feel God's presence with us. So the question is, what do we do in those times? How do we respond to those times of darkness? Where do we run to? Do we try to try to just drown out that darkness with, you know, with alcohol or with other substances or something that we use to try to fill our hearts? Do we try to find peace in, you know, in the earthly relationships around us or do we just try to soldier on? We just just bullheaded try to keep on going and get through this situation with our own strength. Do we give in to trial and temptation and end up Deep in sin. Those are all options. I wouldn't say they're maybe the good options, but they're all options that are at our disposal, really. And I'd like to suggest to you that Psalm 143 is an outline of sorts for a better response to the darkness. Firstly, I'd say it's important to remember who is in control. Who is bigger than the situation that we are in? David begins his, this prayer and ends it appealing to God's faithfulness, His righteousness, and His mercy. For your name's sake, preserve my life, as it says in verse 11. When we pray, do we focus on ourselves or do we focus on God? And what I mean is that sometimes I find myself praying, God, I'm in trouble, help me out. Instead of doing that, why not pray, God, in your faithfulness, preserve me. Because of your name's sake, deliver me from this situation. And hear me out, I'm not saying that there's like some sort of magic formula prayer that always works. And you have to word something in a certain way and then God will answer you. But I say this because as we pray in this way, if we, if we remind ourselves of who God is, that truly is a good reminder instead of just... I'm in trouble, God, help me. Instead of that, praying, God, you are faithful, and in your faithfulness, respond to me. It's a good reminder for us to pray those things. And it also seems that David in this prayer is in some way reminding God of the promises that he made to David. And I like that. I like the boldness 
that David prays with. He's, he's, he approaches God rather boldly, not just in this psalm, but in lots of other places. And I think that sometimes we forget that we can be bold when we come to God in prayer. Like the persistent widow that Jesus talks about in Luke 18 in the parable, we can boldly ask God for deliverance and for justice. In Hebrews 4.16 it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why can we be bold and confident? Because Jesus, our high priest, knows what we are going through. And He has gone through every temptation and every trial, and so He can sympathize with our weakness because He has gone through these situations and yet did not sin. Hebrews 10.19 says that we can have confidence to enter the holy places because of Jesus' blood, which covers our sin. And so we can be bold in our prayers because Jesus has gone through the trials and He has overcome them for us by shedding his blood. I sometimes tell my youth in the youth group that it's okay to get angry at God because God is big. He can take it. And I feel like God, that David is edging on being angry here. He's saying, God, you promised to preserve me. You promised to take care of me. And here I am. What is happening? My enemies are about to crush me. I'm here trying to follow you. So where are you? Are you going to save me? At the same time, David also knows his place before God, before Almighty God, and he knows that he has sinned before God. In verse 2 of this psalm, he writes, Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. So when we pray... We need to be acutely aware of our need for God's mercy and grace. God knows that he is not innocent. Or David, sorry, knows that he is not innocent. He knows that he has committed wrongs and that he needs God's grace. Not his judgment, because no one is innocent. And so the second thing is that we need to put ourselves wholly onto the mercy of God. Confess our sins to Him and throw ourselves at His feet. The trial that we are going through may not be because of our sin, but it's always a good idea to confess the sins in our lives and to trust in God's mercy. As it says in 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can be confident. Confident in God's grace. He will forgive us. Thirdly, we should actually verbally tell God what's bothering us, what's going on. God prays, or David prays, that the enemy is pursuing in him and his spirit is about to faint. God already knows this about David. And I know that he already knows every aspect of our lives. But he does want to have a relationship with us. He does want us to tell him what's going on, how we're feeling about it. When the believers in Acts chapter 4 pray for boldness in the face of the opposition they are facing, they outline to God what is going on, and they even quote Scripture to Him. 
God wrote that scripture, and they're telling him, this is what you wrote. God knows what's going on, but they tell him anyways. (laughs) They ask for boldness and ask for God to continue to act according to his character. And fourthly, David remembers what God has done in the past. This can remind us of God's faithfulness. It can give us courage to carry on, and it can bring us to a place to praise God for what he has done. Now, it may be that we don't think that we have much to praise God for in the present situation that we are in when we were praying in the darkness like this, but God has done wonderful things in our lives, and it helps to recall them in the dark times. The Israelites, as a community, were commanded by God to set up standing stones as a memorial for crossing the Jordan River as they entered the Promised Land. Now, in Joshua chapter 4, God commands 12 men, one from each tribe of Israel, each to carry a stone out of the river and to make a pile. Now, if if you were one of these 12 men that were commanded by probably Moses or Joshua, actually Joshua would have been the one to say, hey, you, 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 come grab a stone. What kind of, what size of stone do you think would have been grabbed? Just like a little, like, hey, this is a good one. Or do you think it would have been like the biggest one that you could carry? Personally, I would have probably killed my back (laughs) trying to heave this big stone out of the river. But a, a pile of big stones that was made on the edge of the river was not natural looking. It was, it was meant to stick out. And so these men probably strained their backs and they had to rest for a while. Or the whole thing is, but the whole point of these stones is so that people would see them. People would notice them and that they would remember what God did for them. It would be a good story to, to tell your kids and your grandkids all these things. When the children saw it and asked, hey, Dad, what's, what are those, what's that pile of stones there? The people would be able to tell of God's faithfulness. So what do you remember? What do you remember about God's faithfulness? It's amazing to think and remember what God has done for us. The big things, the small things, the times that He saved you from an injury or from making bad decisions. You know, that very first time when you gave your life to God and were saved, when God answered prayer in a miraculous way. I remember when I was in India on a mission trip long ago and I saw God deliver a lady from demon possession. Phenomenal. I remember when God told me not to take a job in England, which directly led me to start dating Charlene. And that turned out pretty good. (laughs) I remember the day when I got this scar on my face from a power tool at work. (laughs) And how God protected me from getting even more seriously injured. This is the best case scenario here. It's a good story. I remember God opening up new jobs for me to pursue leading me away from the job environment that I got this in, and leading me to the job that I now have. I remember the day of my wedding and the birth of my two children. All of these things equaling this amazing mass of goodness. God is good. God is faithful. David knows it, and he remembers and meditates on these good things. When we go through tough times, through times of darkness... Meditate and remember God's goodness to you. 
Because He has been good to you. I promise you that. Think about specific examples of His faithfulness. Write them down even. Make a big list so that you can always remember them. Fifthly, David asked God for direction instead of just plowing on in a random direction. He prays in verse 8 to 10, Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. And let your good spirit lead me on level ground. When we get into a dark spot, we need to ask for direction from God. We're in the dark. (laughs) We can't see where we're going. So many of the Psalms are people appealing to God for His leading. So do we do that? Or do we just trust our own strength and our own plan, hoping that it will somehow work out? Teach me to do Your will, O God. Let Your good Spirit lead me on level ground. In Proverbs chapter 3, 5 to 8, it tells us the wisdom of Solomon to his son. Trust, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Our own understanding is not to be trusted above what God knows and directs us in. Let God lead you in His ways. Trust the Lord. Fear Him. And turn away, turn your face away from evil. And He will lead you on a level path and it will be healing to you. Now I want to end with perhaps the, in my opinion, the most important word in this psalm. I found it at the end of verse 6. And David says, I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Selah. The word Selah is one that is found a lot in the psalms. And I'm finding it's kind of a little bit weird because there's a girl named Selah in the church. Well, that's all right. (laughs) I like her. She's cool. I'm excited when she's in youth group. But it's interesting because I think commentators, as I was researching it, don't really know exactly what it means. And that's why they don't translate it. They just leave it as Selah. Some think it simply means to pause, reflect, and consider what has just been said or sung in that psalm. I think that is very important. Pause. Take a deep breath. I love that it is right there after David has stretched out his hands in an attitude of surrender. He's there with his hands up, stretched out to God, his soul lifted up to God, and he takes a deep breath and just pauses. And after this, the very next words are, Answer me quickly. (laughs) David is waiting in surrender for God to speak. To answer him. In Lamentations 3, 25 and 26, it says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him. It is good 
that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When we go through that dark season, do we wait for God? Do we give God an opportunity to speak to us? Do we surrender ourselves to God and then pause? I think that so often we are in such a hurry to get on with life, to get it going, that even in dark times when we don't know the way, we don't wait to hear God. We don't put up our white flag of surrender and let go of things and let God speak to us and let God work in our lives. And so as I said, I I entitled this sermon, A Guide to Praying in the Dark. That's sometimes how life is, and I'm sure we can all agree with that. We are in the dark sometimes. We are stressed out sometimes and anxious, and we don't know what's going on, and we don't know what to do. We don't feel that presence of God. We need to pray in those times. That should be our gut reaction. That should be the first thing that we do. We need to pray. And so I encourage you, turn to Psalm 143 and read it and pause. Stretch out your hands to God and lift your soul up to Him and let Him guide you. Trust in His character, in His grace and faithfulness and boldly ask Him, for deliverance and direction.